doctors and happy Hanukkah. Um, today's episode, we are going to be exploring a holiday that none of you have probably paid much attention to because it's quote unquote Jewish. Um, and first as a disclaimer, let me just state, um, I am, uh, I was not raised Jewish. Um, I love Jesus and I read the Bible. I went to Boise Bible college. I have my bachelor's in preaching and Bible. I am, uh, you know, I throw all those things out just to say like, Hey, just so you know, this is where I stand. You know, like I, I was raised in like the non-denominational Christian churches that, you know, like a lot of them, they're acapella churches, super um, strict, conservative Christian background. Um, that wasn't my church personally, but it's of that tradition. And uh, anyway, I recently have started to look at the Bible through more Jewish lenses. And I came upon a passage in the Gospels in the New Testament that actually mentions Hanukkah. A lot of people don't realize this, but Hanukkah was actually started in that space. Oh, gosh, where should I even begin with this? This is crazy. Because um, the Bible, those of you that are familiar may realize that it you know, has an Old Testament and a New Testament. What you might not realize is that one piece of paper between the Old Testament and the New Testament represents 400 years of time when people were still doing things, God was still doing things, other books were written. Um, the Apocrypha, for one. Um, and one of the things that happened there was a was the founding of Hanukkah. And so when Jesus came on the scene in the flesh, Yeshua, he, he actually um, was living as a Jew in a Jewish country with Jews that had celebrated all of these things and done all these Jewish things for hundreds of years. Um, and so, of course, it makes sense that one day he walked into the temple on a quote-unquote Jewish holiday. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can crack them open. Um, they're in the book of John, or the gospel account of John, or according to John, chapter 10, verse 22. It says right there that then came Hanukkah in Jerusalem. Or your Bible may say, then the Feast of Dedication was in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And uh, just so you guys know, the word Hanukkah, it's not, it's actually not the holiday. It's just a Hebrew word. And it's a Hebrew word that means dedication. And so when they say the Hanukkah is here, like they mean the festival of dedication. Um, and I'll get into what that means here in a second. But let me, let me read this chunk here that um, then Hanukkah came in Jerusalem and it was winter. So we know that this is the same time of year that they celebrated this thing. And Yeshua was walking around inside the temple area in Solomon's colonnade which is a specific area inside the temple. And so the Judeans, the natives, surrounded him and said, how much longer are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us publicly. And Yeshua answered them, I've already told you, and you don't trust me. The works I do in my father's name testify on my behalf. And, and this, this happens right in the middle of a section where Jesus is saying some really hard things and people are really divided. They're like, no, this is the Messiah, the promised one. He's gonna set us free. Um, other people are saying, no, he's crazy. He's demon possessed. We have no idea who this guy is. He's nuts. And, uh, and so here they are at the festival of Hanukkah and they push him. They're like, how much longer are you going to keep us in suspense? Tell us if you're the Messiah. And so the reason that the season is relevant is because the, in the first two centuries, when people were reading this, I mean, for the first 200 years, all Christians basically met on Saturday in synagogues and studied the Old Testament because that's all that they had. And 
they also um, celebrated these festivals. And so when they would have read this, they would have said, oh, during Hanukkah, that makes perfect sense that they would have asked him this question during that season. And for you guys, let me ask you, I mean, what do you know about Hanukkah? Most people, they're going to say, well, it's the Festival of Lights, which is true. That's part of it. Um, and it's got that weird candle holder with the nine branches, which like symbolizes something. Um, and then you might even mention that there's a top, like that there's a game played with a, a dreidel, um, which, you know, that's part of Hanukkah too. I mean, it wasn't at the time of Jesus, but uh, um, in the Ashkenazi Jewish tradition from Europe, um, they they found that game and adapted it to, uh, to their heritage. Um, and, you know, we can get into the dreidel in a little bit, but let me, let's stay focused here. Um, so Hanukkah, in order to understand what Hanukkah is, you have to go to a, a book from the Apocrypha. And Apocrypha just simply means that it's not in the Bible, um, called First Maccabees. And for a little frame of reference, it's like, okay, the Apocrypha for a lot of Christians can be scary because it's like one of those forbidden books. It's like extra biblical, like the Gospel of Thomas, like written by heretics. And, you know, like we can get all crazy about it. But um, what I want you to realize is that the Old Testament, the only reason that the Old Testament ends where it does is because at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, when they came back to restore the temple, they said, all right, listen, we're going to continue writing history books, but we're going to set aside these books we have so far as inspired scripture from God. And so they stopped adding to the Bible right then, but that doesn't mean they stopped writing things down. And in fact, if you look at uh, biblical translation history, the Old Testament was originally written in a language called Hebrew, but it was first translated into uh, another language so that other people could read it. And that first other language it was translated into was Greek. And it was Old Greek, uh, specifically spoken by Alexander the Great. You guys may have heard about the Library of Alexandria. My understanding is that at some point, um, Alexander wanted a copy of this Jewish Bible. And they said, cool, we'll translate it for you into Greek. And so they did. And they, that book is called the Septuagint. Um, and in the Septuagint, they, can, they included all of the Old Testament. And they also included the books of the Maccabees, which, though they're not, quote unquote, scripture, they were so important to the Jewish scholars of the time as, as historical books that they included it in that first translation of the Bible. So that's, I think that makes them pretty, pretty phenomenal. And, and you know, there are things like uh, the, the book of Tobit, which I thought was a really phenomenal story. I just read that yesterday. Um, and there's also uh, the books of Enoch and, you know, all this crazy stuff about angels and demons and Estras and Jubilees and Jasher and like different endings to a couple other books and, and really good stuff. Um, for me, though, um, I think it's important to say like, hey, the Apocrypha, is not something you should dive into until you've gotten a good handle on the Bible that you have. Um, so let this be your uh, public service announcement to go read your Bible um, and study it there. Um, but let's jump into First Maccabees here so we can get the history of Hanukkah. Because you see, I'll give you some world history here. At one point, um, it was Alexander the Great who actually ruled the known world. And, uh, and when he became sick and was getting ready to die, he actually took his four generals and divided the kingdom up into these four quadrants. So these four tetrarchs could rule over his kingdom. And one of them, I think his name was Seleucus. Uh, he started the uh, Seleucid Empire, which basically covered a chunk of land that included Israel. And so Israel was now went from under the rule of Alexander the Great to under the rule of the Seleucid Empire. And it's important to know that during this time, 
the way Kings usually worked is they said, hey, you keep doing you, but I'm the boss. And listen, don't try and fight me on this or I'll kill you. And also, since I'm the boss, you got to send me money. You got to send me tribute. And so the Jews were happy to continue in their normal everyday lifestyle. They even had like a regional king of their own um, who like led them and, and they got to maintain their um, religious orthodoxy. Um, and they didn't get much interference from the Greeks. Oh, sorry, coffee break there. Um, however, at one point after... Um, when you know leadership changed hands, there arose to power a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. And it's important to recognize his name, Epiphanes, it basically means God. He was such an arrogant man that he basically wanted everyone in his empire to be Greek, to, to uh, practice the Olympic Games, to worship their gods, to um, stop being different in any other way and basically worship him as chief of the gods he himself, Antiochus Epiphanes. And so to facilitate that, um, he basically put out a decree and everyone in all the kingdoms stopped practicing their own religions and started worshiping Zeus and, you know, Artemis and Heracles and all these other um, Greek gods. And, uh, but the thing is they came to Judea and they said, Hey, you guys got to worship our Zeus too. And there were a lot of Jews at that time who were more than willing to accommodate, like, hey, we don't want any trouble. We're going to go ahead and follow the mandates. We're, we're totally fine with this. Just like, hey, don't kill us. Like, please don't kill us. And so what they did was they actually went into the temple of God, stripped all the gold from the face of it, from the crown of the doorway, from, from all of the golden vessels inside. They took all the gold out of the temple, and then they put a statue of Zeus in there. Um, and then... To top it all off, they slaughtered a pig and sacrificed it on the brazen altar that was devoted to God. And that's important to recognize because Jews don't eat pig. They pigs are one of the most unclean animals in their in their understanding of the world. And so to sacrifice a pig on God's altar, like you might as well have taken a crap on it. Like it's I mean, it would have been less offensive to defecate on the altar, honestly, than sacrifice a pig on it. So frame of reference there. And that offended a lot of the Jews. But the thing is, um, many of the Jews in Jerusalem were just trying to survive. So you can't blame them. It's kind of like, you know, our current scamdemic situation. You just got to kind of do what you can, do what you can to get by, right? But uh, anyway, that was until they started spreading out from Jerusalem, these leaders of the Antiochus' army. And they went out to a town. And I forget what the name of the town is. Uh, it's Modin. And they go out there to perform a sacrifice, and they bring a pig, and they're like, they find this guy named Mattathias, and Mattathias is the the patriarch of a, of a powerful family in that town. And in fact, he's like the high priest figure. And they say, hey, actually, let me just jump right into it. So it's Book of First Maccabees, chapter two, starting in verse seventeen. We're gonna go all the way through verse thirty, and I'll put all this in the show notes so you can look at it later. Um, but let me just read it to you because this is pretty powerful. The uh, the, one of the king's officers walks up to Mattathias and says, Listen, you are a ruler and an honorable and great man in this city and strengthened with sons and kindred, that is family. Now, therefore, come you first and do the commandment of the king, that is, sacrifice this pig on the altar, as all the nations have done, and the men of Judah, that is, the guys in Jerusalem who already turned their back on God. And those who remain in Jerusalem and you and your house will be in the number of the king's friends, 
and you and your sons will be honored with silver and gold and many gifts. This is where it gets juicy here, because Mattathias, he is a devout Jew, and he's not going to have any of it. So he answers, and he says with a loud voice, If all the nations that are in the house of the king's dominion listen to him, to fall away each one from the worship of his fathers, and has made the choice to follow his commandments, even so, yet I and my sons and my kindred will walk in the covenant of our fathers. Heaven forbid that we should forsake the law and the ordinances. We will not listen to the king's word to go aside from our worship on the right hand or to the left. So he's throwing down. He says, even if everyone else bows their knee to Antiochus Epiphanes, I will not bow the knee to anyone other than my God. And this this is uh, basically a callback to the book of Esther, where um, there all the Jews are residing in the land of Persia. And in Persia, there's a guy named Haman who has it in for the Jews and is sick of them not bowing down before him. And so he... Um, basically tells their king, like, hey, we got to basically kill all these Jews. And the Jews refuse to to bend their knee to worship Haman, to worship uh, their king or anything else. And so it's another great story of, of saving God's devout people. And, and even like in Babylon, when Nebuchadnezzar, he, he makes this gold statue. He's like, man, this is a great gold statue. Everybody ought to worship it. And the Jews say, well, we're not going to. And, uh, oh, there's a really cool story uh, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, which is their Babylonian names, but it's these three Jewish guys, three Jewish scholars in the Babylonian courts. They basically tell Nebuchadnezzar, listen, our God will save us. And even if he doesn't, we will never bow to your statue. And uh, it's like, man, like I, one of the things I love about the Bible is, is all these stories of these guys with stones, you know, they're just like, what's up? We will not back down. And that's really what Hanukkah is about. Like the word Hanukkah means dedicated. And it's uh, that Hebrew word, that idea of dedication. It's where you take a thing and you set it apart and say, this thing belongs to, and you decide what it's dedicated to. And so these people decided that they are dedicated to God. They are his property. And, And so going on here, and when he had left speaking these words, there came another Jew in the sight of all to sacrifice on the altar that was at Modin, according to the king's commandment. And when Mattathias saw it, His zeal was kindled. He was zealous for the Lord and his reins trembled and he showed out his wrath according to judgment and he ran and he killed that Jew upon the altar. And the king's officer who compelled the men to sacrifice, he was killed at that time. And Mattathias pulled down the altar. He was zealous for the law, even as Phinehas did to Zimri, the son of Salu. Again, this is a shout out to the Old Testament. There's a scene where uh, the the Israelite people who are new to God, they go and conquer this pagan country and or no, they go and intermarry with all these pagan women. And so Phineas is the son of the high priest and he grabs a spear and he busts into this guy's tent while he's getting it on with this pagan chick. And yeah, I know, like the Bible is not not family rated. Uh, it's graphic. And he takes the spear and he runs Zimri and this woman through with the spear because he is so zealous to obey God's laws and follow his commands. And and listen, I, I get it. Like in our first world, uh, 21st century worldview, um, it seems very brutal, very judgmental, very harsh. And what you have to realize, and oh gosh, I'm gonna, I have to go on, on a tangent here because one of the temptations of living in such a wonderful uh, 
entitled world like we have here, like, oh, here we are in America and like, oh, it sucks that there's mask mandates and it, oh man, food shortages or I can't buy toilet paper. Oh, life's so hard. It's like, well, listen, um, we have never seen evil. Like none of y'all ever spent any time in a concentration camp, right? Like none of you have ever been in a communist gulag. None of you have ever been thrown into a Roman Colosseum to face down with a lion for people's entertainment. And like those, like none of you guys were, were in Manchuria when the Japanese conquered and started doing all those crazy biological experiments on the native Chinese. So like what you got to realize is things are really nice here. And, you know, the fact that you can't get coffee at the time of day you want, or you, you know, can't find a good parking spot. Like all of your problems are so trite and small. I'm speaking to myself too, you know, cause I get really frustrated sometimes. Um, but what we got to realize is that there is evil out there and evil cannot be tolerated because all the evil needs to succeed is for good men to do nothing. And so that's what happened with Hitler. Like he started rising to power and, you know, he conquered Austria without firing a shot. They welcomed him in with open arms. And, you know, 11 million Jews later, we're like, oh, that guy was actually a really bad guy. We should not have done that. Um, and so when we talk about like these biblical uh, figures who, who do these brutal things like spearing a man and woman who have disobeyed God's law. What you got to realize is this woman was part of a culture that participated in child sacrifice. Like that's where like so I've got three kids of my own, right? They are eight, eight, and six. Uh, seven on Saturday, fun fact. We're going to have a birthday for Ezra. That'll be fun. Um, but what you got to realize is they would take my son, six years old, and they would take him and they would put him on an altar and they would spear him and burn him um, to devote to their God. Or they would take a newborn infant and wrap it in swaddling clothes and put it in the arms of a bronze statue. And the bronze statue would have been preheated by fire first. And so they would have burned children to death while they were alive to sacrifice to their pagan gods. So when you have the God of the Jews come up and he says, hey, listen, we're only going to do animal sacrifice. We're not sacrificing humans. Like that's huge for the time. And when he says animal sacrifice, he like he's very specific about it. And it's not not brutal or gratuitous. It's just like butchering a normal animal, you know. It's not like, like in some cultures, like they will drag it out and that would be like an obscenity in God's eyes. And so when you see, like when I get excited about these stories, I want you to realize like, I'm not excited that people got speared, right? Like if, if you and I were walking next to each other and some guy jumps out of the woods and stabs you to death, I'm like, that's not going to be cool. That's going to be very messed up. However, you know, if I see someone who is like holding women and children at gunpoint and he gets taken down. I can rejoice in that because he was doing evil and there's no other way to stop an evil person than with force. So um, anyway, back to the book. Um, and so Mattathias, he jumps in and he like kills this guy who's going to break God's law and pollute their nation and basically make them lose their identity and become slaves of the Greek empire. And he, he cries out, to the city with a loud voice saying whosoever is zealous for the law that is the bible and maintains the covenant let him come out after me and he and his sons fled into the mountains and forsook all that they had in the city and then many of the sought after justice and judgment went down into the wilderness to dwell there they and their sons and their wives and their cattle because evils were multiplied upon them
And so here's the thing, what you got to realize, like what kind of evils did the Greeks have? Like, oh, like running water and uh, athletics and things like that. No, no, we're talking about like, if you're a woman who has children, like you give birth to, let's say you give birth to twin boys and you decide to circumcise them as is the tradition of your people. Well, here's what the Greeks would do. They would take those boys and strangle them, tie them on ropes and hang them around your neck and make you walk around the wall of the castle to show everyone how Jews are treated. And it's like, that's that's kind of obscenity. You know, like even when, when Jesus was alive, there was similar things going on. Like the Romans, they let the Jews perform their, their religious stuff uh, by and large, but they taxed the hell out of them. And if any of them ever stood up against them, like the, the Romans literally invented crucifixion to punish uh, these people that would rebel up against them. Like they made an art form out of torture. And so you can imagine like walking into Jerusalem for a holiday, for, for a feast where you're supposed to come down and, and worship the Lord. And as you walk into the city, there are 30 Jews hanging from telephone poles alongside the road to remind you that this is not your country and that you are not free. That if you step out of line, you will be killed. Like that's, that's tyranny and that's oppression. And so that's why when the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the, of the law, when they saw Jesus in the temple courts on Hanukkah, he says, hey, don't put us in suspense anymore. Tell us, are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? Are you going to stand up like this Mattathias who, who set our people free? And what you got to realize is that Mattathias, when he first did this, he was just a rebel out in the woods. But he eventually gathered such a following that he was able to fight off the greater Greek forces, like 300 style. You know, he and his guys, they would use guerrilla tactics and they eventually made it so bad for the Greeks to, to maintain their power in that region that they basically left. And so at one point, him and his followers, they uh, actually Mattathias, he was an old man when he did this. So he actually ended up dying before this whole war was over. Excuse me. And so his son, Judah, uh, takes his place as leader. And Judah was such a fearsome fighter that he earned the last name Maccabee, which or Maccabeus, which actually means hammer. And so uh, when we say that the Maccabees took back Israel to create Hanukkah, we mean that this guy came with a hammer and laid the smack down on the Greeks in such a way that they ran away screaming. And they went into the temple and they tore down the statue of Zeus and they actually destroyed the altar that had been defiled by the pig. And they put all of that stuff out in the trash heap. Uh, on the side of the city of Jerusalem called Gehinnom, um, or uh, which is where actually, um, oh gosh, another tangent here. In the New Testament, there's this idea of hell, and, and the idea of hell is that it's like Gehenna, which is where the fire never goes out, where there are trash fires burning all the time, and where all pagan filth and child sacrifice has been forced out of the city. And so the idea of hell is that it's that kind of place. Um, but anyway, so they clear out the temple, they clean everything out, they redecorate it with all the gold, and they put up the lampstand. And, and something you got to realize, culturally, in the, in the temple, there's only a few pieces of furniture. There's, of course, the Ark of the Covenant, um, and then there's the altar of incense, which is a tall, skinny table where they burn incense before God. And then there's uh, the, the table of the bread, which is a longer table they put out, and they put fresh bread on it every week. Um, as an offering to God. And then on the other side of the temple, so there's these three walls that are, don't have the door in them. So um, one has the incense, the one on the right as you come into the door has the showbread, and the one on the left has this thing called the, the lampstand, the menorah. 
and it's got seven lights on it. And it's there's all sorts of symbolism in there that is like laid out in the Old Testament in ultra intricate detail. But an important detail that you should know is that in order to burn oil in that lamp, you have to have sanctified oil. And the process of sanctifying and gathering this oil for whatever reason for them was going to take eight days. So they get in there, they clean up the temple, they make it all nice, and they only have one day's worth of oil. That's what they found just floating around in the temple. So they said, well, should we wait or should we light it up now? And they said, well, hey, here's the thing. God has carried us this far. God will continue to deliver us. Because here's the thing. It was a real miracle that this handful of ragtag Jewish farmers were able to run off trained Greek soldiers, um, trained Greek hoplites. These guys, they're bad. Like, but <laughs> I mean, Alexander the Great used them to take over the known world. So they're pretty tough dudes. Um, but they got run out of Jerusalem by a bunch of redneck farmers. So that's, that's a miracle in and of itself. And so they say, let's light it up now. Because this is the day of dedication. We're going to dedicate this temple back to our God. And we're going to reclaim this space. And they did. And that oil that was only supposed to last for a day, lasted for eight days. And so that's the part that everyone knows about Hanukkah. They're like, yes, we got the lights on for eight days. So cool. And it's like, no, what you got to realize is all the big miracles happened before that. That God delivered his people. And he did a lot with a little. And and then this, this lampstand shows up. And it's kind of the, the cherry on top. It says, hey, remember how I did a lot with a little? I'm going to continue to do a lot with a little. And so God really seals this experience for the Jewish people in their mind that this is a day, that this is a season of dedication. And so even though Hanukkah is not one of the commanded Moedim, one of the commanded days of, of, of fest festivals um, in the Bible, it is a day that uh, the Jews still practice to remember how good God has been to them. And the, and the Jews, they have many days like this. Like they have a, um, a day of mourning and remembrance of what happened in Auschwitz. And it's like they, like they continue to add stuff to their culture over time. And I think it's worth noting that like, I don't know, like the Romans built some amazing things like aquifers and coliseums and roads, um, but they're gone. The Jews, they didn't really build anything that's still standing, but they wrote a book and they're still here. So there's a lot to be said as far as like looking at your values and what's really important in life. Like, is it what you do or is it what you say? Is it who you are? Is it an identity that gets passed down to your children? Um, so let's see, is there anything else I wanted to talk about through that? Um, oh yeah. So, so anyway, when Jesus is standing there in the temple, they're like, Hey, are you going to be the new Maccabee? Are you going to like lead us in a, in a like violent uprising against the Romans so that we can get free for once? And, and he tells them, he straight up says to them, like, hey, uh, I have already told you and you don't trust me. The works I do in my father's name testify on my behalf. And all this time, Jesus has been messing with people because what they expected was a mighty warrior on a white horse with an army to come in and crush the Romans. And the whole time, Jesus is teaching that, no, the thing that you need set free from is worse than Romans. It is this thing called sin and death. You need set free from the evil that has taken root inside of yourself. And so the like the Sermon on the Mount is actually Jesus's exposition on the Torah, his exposition on what the Old Testament really means. And so he came to give spiritual light to everything. And he wanted to show them that like, hey, you know what's worse than like physical blindness? Spiritual blindness. You know what's worse than um, 
uh, physical death, spiritual death. And what's worse than being oppressed by Romans, being oppressed by demons. And so he set so many people free and they didn't see it. They didn't understand what he had come to do. And that's ultimately why they ended up killing him. Um, it's because they thought that he was an imposter. And again, because people are zealous for the Lord, they don't tolerate imposters. So another coffee break here. Also, fun fact, I actually don't drink coffee anymore. I might have to change the name of my podcast. I started drinking mud water. Actually, I'm not that bougie. I, uh, I bought one month's supply of mud water to see if I'd like it. And then I was like, cool. So how do I make this at home? And so now I make it for like 25 cents a cup, which is more than coffee. But um, it's got these uh, brain supporting mushrooms in it and hot cocoa and, and chai and turmeric and all these good spices. And uh, anyway, I'm loving it. And also I have like steady energy throughout the day instead of like, I don't know, being anxious all the time and then having a big crash in the afternoon where I'm just exhausted because my adrenals are totally shot. So anyway, mud water worth looking up. Um, worth making your own stuff if you like hot chocolate or if you like chai or if you like turmeric milk um, all good things um but anyway that that's what i've got as far as the story of hanukkah and for you guys like here's the thing i last thing i want to do is tell you a nice story and give you some good information what i really want to do is make sure that i empower you to take action so now that you've got this story sitting in your lap what are you going to do with it what kind of action can you take with this so let me just suggest first, um, take a second and look at yourself. Like, what are you dedicated to? Like, that would be something worth sitting down today and, and, and thinking, like, what am I really dedicated to? Like, what am I, screw you, burn me alive, dedicated to? What, what, are you, what hill are you willing to die on? Because the thing is, until you have clarity about, about what is most important to you, it's difficult to tell, it's, it's impossible to tell the difference between a, a, uh, an opportunity and an obstacle. Like if you don't know where you're going in life, like everything seems fun. Like, like if you're just like, Oh yeah, I want to help people get better in this, that, and the other thing, then you're going to explore, um, you know, herbal herbalism and you're going to explore like acupuncture and cupping and like, Oh, let's do a little bit of homeopathy in there too. And you'll get distracted. It's like, no, listen, if you're a chiropractor, be a chiropractor, adjust spines, get people like get their nervous system reintegrated. Like, okay, so you're into chiropractic. Well, what's most important about chiropractic? Is it important that we do like good muscle testing? Is it important that we're specific? We have good analysis. Is it important that we re uh, reestablish tone? Like where are you going to go? And so you'll end up like drifting in the wind. Like, oh, I'll take a little bit of constant, a little bit of that. And like, well, yeah, try a little bit of everything. But if you go into your clinic and you're like, all right, here are my 57 checks to make sure that I found subluxation. And then here are the 36 things I'm gonna to do to correct subluxation. Like that's not gonna work. You've gotta find something to be sold out about and then keep all the other things in your back pocket for when that first thing doesn't work. Like got your plan A, B, C, and D, but always run with plan A first. Um, and, and just get clear on things. And uh, in America, we've got this all the cart spirituality, which you know, no judgment if that's you, because I mean, this is the land of the free. You do you, I do me. You stay out of my way and I'll stay out of yours. Like, that's just how it works. Um, so, uh, but it is worth noting, like, just so you realize, not all religions mean the same thing. And this is something that I would I would defer with, uh, gosh, what are they practicing? Is it the Sikhs? There are several religions that are like, oh, all religion is good. And they're kind of universal, you know, one size fits all. It's how God's like try to communicate itself to us. And we're just trying to get back to that. And like, 
first off, uh, I've, I've studied some world religions pretty deeply, and, and I've realized that they're actually all different paths climbing up different mountains. They're not trying to get to the same destination. Like Zen Buddhism, for one. Like the goal of that is nirvana, which is simply realizing that you are nothing. Everything is nothing. It's all just an illusion. And if you can escape the illusion, you win, which, you know, is a far cry from, you know, Jesus who says, hey, I have created a space for you in heaven to dwell with my father and you will dwell with me forever. Like, okay, so there's a heaven concept. And then you got like Hinduism and Hinduism, like first off, Hinduism, you can't put in a box because it's like got 97 flavors on its own. Um, and, and I say that with the most respect, you know, like there's, they have a full pantheon, whether you worship Ganesh or, or one of the other gods. Um, and each God has kind of their own thing, but, uh, in their worldview, everything's just kind of recycling and you're either adding good karma or adding bad karma. Like you're adding weight to your soul or you're setting your soul free. And so the more good works you do, when you get reincarnated, you get a higher level of reincarnation. Uh, until you get to the highest level, which is being reassimilated into the all force, the one force, the one universal intelligence. And like, okay, well, that sounds, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a level of euphoria at that level, but that's not something that I want. Like, I actually enjoy being alive on earth. And even though it's a place full of suffering, it's also a place full of blessing and beauty. And in the Jewish worldview, the, the Judeo-Christian worldview, the way it is, is God and his angels are in heaven and they are separate from us. They are 100% spiritual. And then you have rocks and dirt. They are 100% physical. And then in the middle, you have things that are like increasingly in the middle. And then humans are perfectly in the middle where we are like made of flesh and we're spiritual beings. And we dwell in the world. And our job is to take the world and elevate it all. Like in Genesis, God tells Adam, go and cultivate and protect this garden and be fruitful and multiply and cover the earth. And the, the whole idea is that people are supposed to take what is wild and, and make it better, not make it worse. And so it's this idea of like the, the frontiersman who walks into a wilderness and all there is is chaos and there's bison and wolves and bears and like just crazy danger and snakes, the whole thing. And what he does is he makes a cabin and he puts up a fence and he brings the bison in and domesticates them and makes sure that they are fruitful so they can multiply, but not too much so that they don't destroy the land. And then they take the land, you take the plants of the land and you cultivate them together in a garden. So they support one another and you garden in such a way that it rehabilitates the soil and takes care of the microbes and takes care of the wilderness around you. And, and so what every human should do is take the land that they stand on and figure out how to make it better, but without destroying it. Like, I don't know, you take the chunk of land that you're on and you pave it over with concrete. Is that better in God's eyes? So anyway, that, that's the kind of path that I'm on as, as a Christian is I'm, I want to follow God and help his world reflect him better. Um, because he says on like this, the seventh day of creation, as he's talking to Adam and giving him his commission, it's like, hey, um, I didn't finish the work of creating. I left that up to you. And I think that's part of why so many of us, like you think about your vision, what do you want to do? You want to have a ranch. You want to be out in the woods somewhere. You want to be out in the wilderness. But cultivate your own homestead. Like where I'm from, everybody wants a homestead. I don't know about you guys, but like the idea of gardening sounds great to me. Like not like having, you know, pansies and posies and roses, but, but of like cultivating my own food and having this kind of like self-sufficiency and, and that kind of dream. I feel like that's, that's what we're meant to do. And so for you guys, like 
I'm not inviting you to take Hanukkah and slap it in there with your chakra meditation and throw it on top of your um, incense and Ganesh statue and all these other things and, you know, have your a la carte religion. What I'm trying to say is figure out what you're sold out about. Figure out what you are. Burn me alive. You know, kill me now. Like I refuse to bend my knee dedicated to. I'm not saying it has to be religious, but if you are dedicated to God, okay, good. Then do something about it. Like the, the biggest problem in America right now, especially in the Christian community, is nobody reads their Bible. And it's basically a repeat of what happened when Martin Luther was alive, that the people feel like the, the Bible is too complex for them, that they can't understand it. And it's like, are there hard things to understand? Yeah. I mean, we're 2,000 years separated from Jesus, like the time of Jesus. A lot has happened since then culturally. And so we don't look at the world through the same eyes as his disciples did. And the thing is, Jesus himself, when he came to earth, is about 1,500 years separated from the time of Abraham. And so there's this massive spread of time. And it all tells the same story, but there's a lot of cultural nuances you got to catch on there. So what we need to do is crack open the book, start at the beginning, because everything refers back to it, and start reading through. And as you're reading, make sure that you seek guidance. There's a really great resource on YouTube called The Bible Project. Um, man, my entire Bible college education I could throw out the window if I had The Bible Project back then. Because honestly... The scholarship on that is really, really quite good. Um, and it really boils stuff down to such a simple level. You can understand it way better. So the Bible Project, I'm going to give a shout out to those guys. Um, and they uh, speak a lot cleaner than I do. They're much more eloquent. Um, and I've got really cool animations. So look them up on YouTube. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're fully devoted to God, like you want to be dedicated to God, like take action for God. Be, be all about that, you know? Um, but maybe you want to, you need to be more dedicated to family. Good. Do that. But don't just be like, oh, yeah, I'm a family man. And so you just waste all your time at home. Like sitting around with your family is not 100% the right way to take care of your family. What you need to do is craft a clear vision. And, you know, it's written that my people perish for lack of vision, uh, for lack of knowledge. And, and if you don't know what your vision is, if you don't know where you want to take this family, if you don't know what you want your kids to grow up to be, then how are you going to make sure that you're cultivating them the right way. You know, like, like what behaviors are, are you gonna let your kids do? Are you just gonna let them walk all over you because you're their buddy? Um, and then give them a false sense of what reality looks like when they go to meet their first boss and their boss kicks them in the teeth and tells them get back to work. Um, like the first time they experience discipline or are you gonna be a disciplinarian that just crushes them all the time? So they don't ever wanna meet a boss or have anyone that ever tells them what to do. And they'd rather spend their time being homeless and on drugs. It's like, there are a lot of ways to screw up a kid. I don't know if you've realized a lot of ways to screw up a kid and a lot of ways to screw up a marriage. I don't know if you've realized a lot of people are on their second or third spouse and that spouse still terrible. So if, <laughs> if it were easy, man, everybody would be doing it. Everybody would have, have that, like the big house, the nice car, the beautiful spouse, the great children that are going off to become great things. Everyone would do that if it were easy but it is not. And so that's okay. We do hard things, but we can't do hard things if we don't come up with a plan and execute the plan. So for your family, you, you want to be dedicated to your family during this Hanukkah season, um, come up with a plan, figure something out. Um, and like I was talking about earlier, like you want to be dedicated to chiropractic, like you got to figure out what, what line in the sand you're going to draw. Like for me this quarter, I'm not wearing a mask. That's where I've drawn the line. I'm not saying it's where you have to. I'm not judging you guys that still wear masks, that feel like you need to wear masks, that would rather just not rock the boat. Insert disclaimer here, okay? 
uh, you guys know me. Like if, if I talk to you face to face, um, that I just love you and I want to make sure that you have all the resources that you need to go and accomplish the things you want to do. Okay. That being said, I have drawn my line in the sand at the mask issue because this thing has been going on since it's gosh, it's almost two years now because it's COVID-19, right? So it started in December of 19. Here we are, December of 2021, two years. And I have not seen dead people being carried out in wheelbarrows. Okay. Like, like, like Monty Python style, bring out your dad. Like we haven't seen people die in that mess. Now are people dying? Yeah. People die every year. I don't know if you realize that like every year, people that are older, um, who have are immunocompromised, who have comorbidities, they catch things like the flu, the common cold, various viruses, or simply just deteriorate and die or have accidents. Um, and they die. People people die all the time. Dying is part of the, the cycle, you know? Um, you guys ever seen The Lion King? Come on. <laughs> uh, sorry, like I'm being inconsiderate. But really, like, we got to stop being so scared of of cooties. Like, that's really what this reminds me of. It's like in kindergarten, you know, you have one kid, he's got cooties. And if he touches you, like, okay, now you've got cooties. And you're like the pariah of the whole kindergarten playground, right? Like, come on, you guys. We're all adults here. We all have immune systems of our own. And if you're immune compromised, you need to square that away. I can't, like, I literally can't go around and help everyone else have a better immune system and make sure everyone else's immune system is okay, you know? And I've, I've also drawn the line, not just as a chiropractor, but, but as a Christian. Because the thing is, what makes a religion? A religion has statements of faith and it has religious garb and it has specific trappings about it that make it religious in nature, okay? And so you could argue the most sporting events are religious events on that same thing. And I would actually, in some ways, some people they are like religious zealots about the chargers or Georgia tech or whatever. Um, but anyway, before I burn too many bridges, uh, let's look at some of the statements of faith of this new world religion that we're experiencing with the COVID-19 situation. Things like, uh, two weeks to slow the spread. That was an old slogan. Um, I wear my mask to protect you. You wear your mask to protect me. Um, we're all in this together. Uh, like just, uh, like it hurts my brain to even like, try to like, look at these things. Um, like the fact that people carry sanitizer with them everywhere, that people are wearing masks, which is like the ugliest hijab ever. And, uh, and people are scared to talk to each other. People are afraid to get close to each other. People are afraid to give each other hugs. Like you, when you, like, I don't know. It, it really messes with me. And so I'd rather wear the religious garb of a Jew than of a scientist. And the thing about science is it has departed from what uh, Newton and Benjamin Franklin and all the early scientists like Edison and Tesla first looked at, which was like, hey, we see a thing. Let's ask a question with no assumptions and let's prove our assumption or like, like, let's not no, not prove our assumption. Scientific method. Anyone remember the scientific method? It's where you ask questions. You don't trust the science. The, the, the very nature of science is that you do not trust. You see something with your eyes and you do not trust it. You say, nope, probably not ghosts. It's probably something like magnetism or gravity. You know, like we, we look at things scientifically. And so here we are with COVID-19 and we're like, ghosts you know like it's very primitive it's like well i know you gotta wear the mask because if you wear the mask it's a lucky charm that prevents the ghost known as covid from getting you it's like 
well, what about all the jetting? What about like, is it really droplets? Is it the fact that like the ma these are surgical masks, which are actually meant to keep spit and drool like from people's open body cavities? Um, like, how does this make sense? So anyway, for me, that's where I draw my line. Um, so anyway, if for you, if you want to be dedicated to chiropractic, figure out where you draw the line, what is important to you. Um, like you want, you just want to hold a healing space. Cool. Make that your thing. Like find a thing to be dedicated to. Just don't be wishy-washy. Like, uh, it's funny. Jesus, he talks about, um, you know, you should be hot or you should be cold, but if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And, uh, and that passage, I love that one. Cause it's like really <laughs> misinterpreted a lot. A lot of people, they'll say like, yeah, God wants you all for him or all against him. Otherwise he's going to spit you out. And it's like, no, God wants you all for him one way or the other, because the, the specific city that Jesus is talking to, it's right in the middle between these two other cities. One city is known for its hot springs and the other is known for its cool, fresh, uh, fresh water, not salt water, fresh water. Um, and so by the time water got brought from the aquifers between the hot springs or the cold, cold, uh, uh springs, um, it was just tepid. And so it wasn't good for cooking or cleaning and it wasn't refreshing and cool. It was worthless, um, had to be heated up or cooled off. And so when Jesus says like, be hot or be cold, he says, you know, be cleansing or be refreshing, be something. Um, so you want to be a tonal chiropractor, be the best freaking tonal chiropractor, go figure out how to get this tone thing, like help people integrate and do the wave and, um, get that shift and do it well and learn how to communicate that because you got to realize like, yeah, there's a certain demographic that are into it, that like live on woo woo. Those are going to be your easy pickings if you can find them. And if you can convince them that you're the best at what you do. Uh, but then there's also other people that need your help that aren't open to that yet. And if you can become an effective communicator, there's nobody that sits in front of you that can't be your patient. So work on your communication and work on your craft. Like if you can talk chiropractic and you can do chiropractic, like then you'll have a successful practice. Um, but let's say you're into something like, like Gonstead, like, and you're going to have people put on a gown every time you put them on a knee chest table, like, cool. You do that and be excellent at it. Be the best damn chiropractor in that vein and make sure you can communicate clearly so that nobody gets weird and everybody understands and they're willing to pay you all that crazy money to have you do that to them and reintegrate their nervous system and deliver the goods that you promise. Um, but I guess really like the whole point of all this, what I'm trying to say about Hanukkah is be dedicated. Don't be lukewarm because in your life, there's only one chair and God put you on that chair. And so how dare you half ass it? What you got to do is you got to freaking double cheek it, brother. Double cheek it. Sit, sit all in that chair and take it for all it's worth. And the thing is the world needs you. And there's only the one you to do that. So go be the best you that you can be. Um, awesome. That's what I've got for you guys. Um, I send you guys much love. If you're listening to this on some cool app, make sure you like it, share it, do whatever. If you've got any value out of it, fantastic. If you have any questions for me, uh, first off, check the show notes. I'm going to put some good stuff in there. Um, but most of you guys who listen know me personally. So um, just reach out to me if you have any questions or if you, I'm here to serve. Let me serve you. Um, be blessed, you guys. Happy Hanukkah.